Welcome to No Player Connected, the only podcast where we go into your favorite video games and then don't play them. I'm your host, Professor Jam, and today I'm joined by speedrunner extraordinaire, horror film connoisseur, and underwater libertarian hellscape enjoyer, Astrid. Good afternoon, or evening, Astrid. I think it's evening by you, right? It is evening, thank you. I guess I am all of those things, now that I think about it. That is an apt description. All right, good. I, I was hoping we'd start off on the right foot there. If you turned out to not be an underwater libertarian hellscape enjoyer, uh, this episode would be really awkward. Yeah, it just turns out that I am. Luck of the draw. Um, but we are hanging out in Fort Frolic today in the 2007 classic Bioshock. It hurts to say classic because I still remember when like the trailers for Bioshock came out, mm-hmm. but... It's mm-hmm. all the way back in 2007. For those unfamiliar, Astrid, could you give people a rundown of Bioshock? More as a game, because I don't know if you could like succinctly say what the story of Bioshock is. We'd be here all night. Bioshock is an immersive sim created by the same folks that did System Shock 1 and 2. This game is the spiritual successor to that franchise since that franchise never got a third game. But as an immersive sim, it tells a story about your character who is unfortunate enough to suffer a plane crash over the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and survive as the sole survivor of the crash, but fortunate enough to find their way to a lighthouse, which, whoops, it's not a lighthouse. It is the entrance to the underwater city of Rapture, which was created by this objectivist philosopher and free market radical thinker, Andrew Ryan, who wanted to create the perfect utopia underwater. And then you arrive and you find that there is in fact a city underwater. A utopia it is not. It has been in ruin for at least a year. And the denizens of it are barely what you would call human anymore. And you're just trying to get out of there, trying to figure out how to survive when you're contacted by this dude, Atlas, who wants to help you get out, but also wants you to help him get his poor wife and child out (laughs) of the city as well. That's all I feel I can say to briefly sum the game up. It is wild, and it is a big example of free market capitalism let loose, and this is the result when everyone there is a rich, entitled asshole who feels like utopia is where they belong. (laughs) I find this especially poignant since I am currently standing ankle-deep in a flooded bathroom where the lights are flickering on and off, and there's an advertisement for cigarettes that is partially sunken into the water as well. So I, I think it's a lovely place. I feel like it's worth noting that since the game takes place in 1960, the art is very art deco and the music is uh, a lot of royalty free music now from the 1940s, like the Andrew sisters, for instance. Yeah, I, I love the art deco style in this game. It, uh, it rules. The, the music, also a really nice touch. The, the creepy masks everybody wears, 
not as thrilled, not as thrilled about that. But you know, it, it's it can't be perfect. It can't be quite the utopia that uh, Andrew Ryan makes it out to be. It's just barely missing the mark. As the water rises around everybody, that leads me to the first question I wanted to ask you about this crumbling city beneath the sea. Do you think, with just a few tweaks, or maybe even major changes, do you think that the city of Rapture that this game takes place in, do you think it could have been saved? Or was it just doomed from the get-go by its by its very premise? I think that the idea of a city underwater is possible. I think that any city built on the premise of we are the global elite who shall separate ourselves from the rest of the world and commit ourselves to the true existence of free market capitalism. They could have built that city anywhere and it would have failed. I'm sure that's happened. That's had to have happened at least once. I think there was a town uh, where some libertarians tried to set it up and I think bears destroyed it or at least severely uh, damaged it. I do not know, but it does not surprise me. Now, I've only played the first Bioshock. Did they ever like explain the first contractors and construction workers? Like, How the hell did Andrew Ryan get people out here in the first place? There was actually a novel that was released at, shortly after the game came out that describes that exact thing. It also reads exactly like an Ayn Rand novel would read. So there's really all the the love and understanding of inspiration for what Bioshock is and what it means is there in the novel, too. Is it, like, played straight? Like, when you're reading it, do you feel like the author buys into Ryan's BS, or is it kind of, like, satirical? I suppose satire is the best way to put it, because I think that whenever you look through the game, you you find the uh, audio journals, and Andrew Ryan's audio journals are just him spouting some sort of philosophical nonsense (laughs) that basically just equates to him yelling, I sure do hate poor people. (laughs) And that's, that's about it. That's, like, what it comes down to, because... He will use these very flowery sentences that point a finger directly at the people most in need and saying, I think they should die, (laughs) pretty much. Or that they're they're leeches on society. If I think if you said the word welfare in Rapture, they just execute you or something. Yeah, yeah. And if you say it too close to Andrew Ryan, I think he'd combust. Yeah. He's a guilty pleasure of mine because he is just so over the top. Like, last night I, I found one of those audio tapes and it's him basically talking himself into how it's okay that he's made the little sisters or, you know, he's helped at least spread their existence and stuff. And yeah, he gets himself whipped up into this impassioned speech about his, you know, his great chain um, that everyone's pulling. And he's like, and their hands are right alongside mine. It's like, okay, dude. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, child slavery is probably acceptable. So you're right. Well, well, to be fair to Andrew Ryan, they're definitely, it's definitely worse than child slavery. Let's, (laughs) (laughs) throw that out there there's never really been a term to define exactly what sort of monstrosity he's created so how how could he be a victim or how could he not be a victim for 
not understanding something that's never been done before. Yeah, if you had incomprehensible wealth and nightmarishly uh, flexible scientific powers, I mean, who wouldn't do what he did in his uh, Absolutely. position? The free market called for it, if you think <laughs> about it. so Yeah, if there wasn't demand for mutated children and giant people in suits that sound like whales, then the market would not have supplied it. So There you go. How did Rapture fail? <laughs> I have to ask, why did you pick Fort Frolic? Fort Frolic, when you said, hey, I need somewhere to go that is very atmospheric, location. My brain went into audio engineer mode and was like, okay, what is subtle but recognizable? And one part of me was like, Hephaestus might be, but there's all these whales that go by in Hephaestus and they can just suddenly be very loud. And then Arcadia, there's all the trees and stuff, but I couldn't think of anywhere in Arcadia where you can just hang out and listen without a splicer just spawning on you all of a sudden. Yeah, I will say there are a couple splicers outside the bathroom, but they'll have mm -hmm. to wait. But they are um, screaming incoherently in the distance. But I think that's part of the charm. Yeah, that's part of the experience. <laughs> um, so I was trying to think of something like that, and Fort Frolic came to mind. Not only that specific the audio engineer brain activating, but also... Fort Frolic is probably my favorite part in the game, atmospherically anyways, of just artistic white privilege at its finest. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, is it the, um, oh, I'm, I literally just saw him, but I forgot his name already. It's not Cohen, is it? Yeah, Sander Cohen. Uh, I was going to say, do you, do you particularly enjoy him as a character? Yeah, he's the worst. I love him. <laughs> is he worse than Andrew Ryan? It's hard to compare one kind of evil to another. Andrew Ryan straight up believes that because of the money that he has, he is this entitled to be as basically fascist as he is. And for him, capitalism is king and it matters and that's what's important. And that's all that things should be. At best, you can call him misguided. Sander Cohen is more sociopathic in the sense that he sees art in everything. And when Andrew Ryan was just like, this is a city where the artists need not fear the censor, he straight up was like, I can make snuff. <laughs> and that was like the first thing he came up with for some reason. And just started seeing dead bodies and killing people as art. And that's really weird. So... I think that it's hard to compare. They're both pretty evil, but they're definitely different kinds of evil. Yeah, Andrew Ryan is the guy that would agonize over the trolley car problem, wondering yeah. if really he should even touch the lever, and then Cohen would show up and take pictures of whatever happened afterwards. Well, Sander Cohen is the, is the one who tied them down and is filming, but Andrew Ryan's choice. <laughs> fair. That is fair. <laughs> Who is your favorite, and I guess Sander Cohen would be maybe in the running here in this category, but who is your favorite like tertiary character? Because I know Andrew Ryan and uh, Frank Fontaine are, like I would say, pretty clear like big big characters in this game, but are there any like 
people that show up in one or two of the tapes that you particularly like in the tapes um, or, or or they don't have to be in the tapes i suppose uh you know if i couldn't choose sander cohen i would probably choose dr steinman oh that's a good pick is it just the the same like over the top like i'm i'm freakishly evil type deal well, I feel like Dr. Steinman is the example of someone who thought he was he's almost like the Boromir character. You have my attention. <laughs> I, I want to see this connection. Except if Boromir didn't have any super redeeming qualities. Say you just took Boromir at his mere, like, make his entire character less about I want to save my people in Gondor and more about I sure am the best, like, fighter there ever was. There's nothing wrong with knowing that you're you're great and that you do great things and greatness is around you. It's, you know, annoying and <laughs> it's... uh pretty arrogant and stuff but i don't think arrogance is a hundred percent a bad thing but once adam got to him then that pushed him from just being like a prick who thinks highly of himself to an evil prick who thinks highly of himself and i think that the way that the ring made boromir believe that the only way that his people could be saved was for him to take the ring and bring it to gondor and possibly do whatever he needed to do to do that which could have involved harming frodo so too did adam say to dr steinman you're the greatest surgeon there ever was but what if you could also be an artist and that was the only little push that it needed for steinman to go over the top and go complete full mad scientist doctor surgeon dude. The tragedy of it is that like if he just liked to paint or make miniatures, those are like things you can just kind of do on your own. It is kind of right. unfortunate <laughs> that he needs other people to be his canvas. Mm-hmm. I wanna see the Adam augmented stamp collector. I wanna <laughs> I wanna see a guy that has like grafted on extra eyeballs to his head so that he can uh, bird watch more effectively. But yeah, it just seems like everybody in Rapture has to has to have other people hostage for their hobbies or professions. Well I feel like we see through the splicers what Adam does to normal people because for everyone, like I shouldn't say normal people, everyone there isn't a horrible person because they're there. But they, they agreed to go there, is what I mean. But what Adam does for every single person is makes them paranoid and have violent reactions to their paranoia. So we probably killed the stamp collector somewhere no, in there. No, no. Or, let me live my dream, maybe the stamp collector is so powerful, you know, he's killed all that's... A- <laughs> That have approached him and no one's ever met him and lived to tell the tale. There used to be two stamp collectors. (laughs) (laughs) Now there is but one and one massive collection. (laughs) Possible DLC. (laughs) Oh, that'd be badass. Yeah, surely uh, 15 years later. (laughs) You know, I'll pull some strings. When When I'm big and famous and rich like Andrew Ryan, that's what I'll put my wealth towards. That's so oddly specific, and I love it. I want to ask this question, and I don't mean anything by it, but I want your honest opinion here. Do you think Bioshock's gameplay holds up today? 
Yes, because I still see the gameplay of it pop up in immersive sims to this very day. Like, as I said before, Bioshock is a spiritual successor to System Shock. System Shock is getting a remake this month, as a matter of fact. What? Yep. Oh, okay, we have to talk about System Shock, because I have some things to say, but thank you for bringing that up, because I didn't know that. I got you. But, like, Prey, that came out, uh, I want to say six years ago, maybe? The the remake one? Prey is, yeah, the newest one. It's definitely not a remake of the original, Oh, okay. Though. I feel like I'm approaching a contentious topic here. <sighs> yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> That was very inspired from Immersive Sims and kind of like Bioshock, whether people like it or not, is the blueprint for Immersive Sims. Now, uh, Atomic Heart just came out. It's hard not to see Bioshock in Atomic Heart. On a whim, I, I decided to type in Bioshock on Twitter. That is what popped up the most, was people talking about Atomic Heart. So I... I think that's very true. When you say immersive sims, what do you mean by that exactly? Uh, it's a way of describing a certain genre of first-person game where it's first-person, you level up, but not in the RPG sense of leveling up, but you find upgrades for things. You explore and experience environmental storytelling around you. Okay. That's pretty much what an immersive sim is. Uh, it doesn't have to be a shooter, but many are. All right, cool. I, I guess my dumbed-down gamer brain was always just like, FPS. Scary FPS. And so <laughs> I, I like your description better. Because, yeah, it, this game is very immersive. Like, the not just the tapes, but the things that you just see as you look around. And there's so much to gawk at as you walk through this game. I'm a sucker for, um, and I know this will sound really specific and odd too, but uh, in-game advertisements. I think I discovered my love of that when I was playing through Dead Space, and I was just looking at ads and posters and stuff. Mm -hmm. And since this is a libertarian hellscape underwater, uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's ads all over the place. And so I just love looking at Rapture and imagining, like, what did this place look like when it was functioning in massive quotation marks functioning i like that term so I'll, I'll start using it and pretending like i know what it means and then i'll <laughs> i'll message you really quickly and be like astrid i'm gonna need you to jog my memory <laughs> yeah basically it's a first person game with environmental storytelling and as you progress through it there's rpg elements but not strictly like oh i leveled up let me throw points into my strength but rather ooh, an upgrade for my grenade launcher or the uh the photo system which i feel like yeah. i grossly underutilized the first time i played this oh my god if you use the photo system to death and you play play it on hard with that it's just basically turns the game back down to normal and i'm playing on normal and i started using the photo system and i'm in weenie hut jr now yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you can just one-shot people now. I guess that brings me to um, something I wanted your thoughts on. Do you think that the all the different elements of this game gel well together? Because there's the obviously there's the gunplay, you've got the photo system, there's hacking, there's crafting, there's the plasmids. Do you think that's all a cohesive 
gameplay experience, or do you think they were overly ambitious? I mean, that's what I come to expect from immersive sims, is everything you just said. Literally, the only thing I don't like about Bioshock is that enemies respawn, and you don't get a break from combat when I would like one every once in a while. Same. You know, the the first time I played through this, I went through kind of quick, and so I didn't do a whole lot of backtracking or sightseeing but on my journey to to make it to this specific bathroom that you sent me to a few times i was like oh hey i'd love to check things out and then some freak would jump off the ceiling and ambush me again and so i uh and and i really didn't think that that was in vogue at this time was this around the time that call of duty started really leaning into the infinite respawning enemies until you get past a certain point game design choice haven't played enough Call of Duty to be able to answer that question, I'm afraid. That is probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Another another game design question I had for you. How do you feel about the whole um, make the evil choice and get big reward, or make the nice choice and you still get rewarded, but it's like slightly less? And I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the decision that you have with the little sisters, whether you harvest them or save them. Like, do you think that gives us enough agency? Or, I don't know, because I'm kind of in the middle with it. Sometimes I feel like it's not really much of a choice. I, I have a long answer and a short answer. Which would you like to give? Which would you like to hear? Oh, man, I want the long answer, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well... Basically, the short answer is I don't like it. The long answer oh, is... Yes! Um, this is perfect. We get both. I get yes. the, the, the little tease there. I don't like <laughs> it. Now I'm going to tell you for 50 minutes why I don't. That's that's perfect. Mm-hmm. The, the long answer is I like it in Bioshock because it's not actually that way. <gasps> the moral choice is better than the immoral choice. Because if you save every single little sister, you get better shit anyways. Can you can you elaborate for, for folks who um, aren't familiar and who may be in the room with us right now? <laughs> it's me. I'm people. So if you decide to harvest the little sisters, you get 150 atom, which is a lot of atom. You can do a lot of upgrading and stuff with that. If you decide to save them, you get 80 atom. If you save three, though, every three little sisters you save, Dr. Tenenbaum rewards you when you go to the Gatherer's Garden next time, and you get, I think, 200 Atom, plus a plasmid that you can only get through doing this path that you're doing, and I think you get a tonic that you can only get through doing it. I think it's different every three that you do, but you always get, like, that huge boon of Atom to kind of like make up for what you were doing as well. So I like that in Bioshock, they kind of set you up with this, no, make the greedy choice, but then you end up do being rewarded for making the righteous choice anyways. What's even the point of being evil? It's messed up. I think the point of being evil is that if you're short-sighted enough to never try the good route, then you never see the benefits of it. And you just immediately get the instant gratification which is the capitalist dream. Are you telling me this game has messages and stuff? Maybe. Maybe a few. I thought this was before games got all political, Astrid. <laughs> when, when we could just sit down, play video games, and there's no message. Like, you know, 
Metal Gear Solid, you know, yeah, again. Yeah. Why did that get so political suddenly? Suddenly, yes. <laughs> I remember back when Metal Gear was, uh... Nope, I can't do it. I, I tried. I tried. <laughs> God, video games. Oh, uh, I wanted to ask you, and this kind of fits in with the little sister thing, because I, I have some thoughts on Mr. Fontaine, or, or Atlas. Oopsie, if, if anybody hasn't uh, oh played my this before. God. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk about the twist. <laughs> Did, was the twist spoiled for you way back when? If you play System Shock, the twist is already spoiled for you. What? Or did they just recycle the, the twist? They recycled that specific part of the story. And if they keep it in, I bet you, I bet you when System Shock comes out, there's going to be a whole bunch of Bioshock fans who are like, I can't believe they stole the Bioshock plot twist. When, in fact, Bioshock stole their plot twist from System Shock. Well, it's like when Freddie Mercury stole from uh, Vanilla Ice. Oh, yeah, that, that amazing moment. Yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> but, so so you saw it coming like a mile away, way back when? No, when I first played it, I had never played System Shock. But after, after doing Bioshock, I was like, whoa, that was incredible. What amazing storytelling. That was phenomenal. People are going to be talking about this for forever. And then I played System Shock a few years after that, and... Me, very, very obviously, System Shock came first before Bioshock. <laughs> so you play through that, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> very well. I, I was one of, those, uh, one of those kids that I, I did not get too many video games, and so I just kind of looked things up on YouTube to see what all the hubbub was about, and it, it blew my, my little brain. I was like, what? The good guy is actually evil, too. Um, which, like, in hindsight, makes the game so funny. At least to me it does, because the character Atlas, the fake identity that Fontaine has put on, he's trying so hard to sound like the most wholesome guy ever. My my wife and kid, I want to see my family. But, like, he still can't help but go, like, kill the little child. Yeah. Harvester, you have to you have to do it. You have to kill that kid. Yeah. Oh god. I love him. I, I love all the goofy <laughs> little guys in this city and their their little quirks that they have. Um, like harvesting children and acting really sad when their family blows up. It's it's a real treat. So so you weren't shocked at all or you weren't like When I first played big? it, yes. Um I, I definitely was because I had not played System Shock until that point, but now people will just be like, Astrid, isn't that, you love Bioshock, you love Bioshock so much, isn't that plot <laughs> twist so incredible? And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I guess it is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the part where where Fontaine was like, I was Bioshock the whole time. <laughs> and he, then he shocks your bio. It's yeah. It's the best part of the game. Hon- honestly, you could say that that's what the game is known for most. <laughs> <laughs> I Okay, I will say, um, in the final fight with him, I somehow got myself stuck in a spot where I did not have a whole lot of healing left. I may have also been drinking. I can't remember. So I just got to hear him call me Mook, like... Probably 200 times as he beat my ass. Come and get it, Mook, over and over and over again. Seared into my mind. So, 
he does. He even has a silly little catchphrase. He is a silly little guy. What do you feel as you play through this game, or or if it's if it's old hat at this point? I don't know. What did what did you feel the first time you played through? So you can either you can go either way with that one. If the magic is still there. Hmm. When I first played it, I was honestly too young to understand the the full story of what was going on in the game. So I put it simply in the terms of city is falling apart. I survived a plane crash. I'm trying to get out of here. Crazy people are trying to kill me. And turns out my friend was actually my greatest enemy. I'm trying to save all of these uh, little sisters trying to do the right thing. And then the end is like, whew, I got out. Everything else just went right over my head as, <laughs> as a kid. I like listening to Andrew Ryan talk. I'm just like, oh, geez, man, I'm sorry this happened to your city. Like <laughs> that was all I thought as a kid. And I, I didn't really like when I read, a, when I hear, when I hear the, the, there's the architect who was in charge of making things and he made an audio tape to Andrew Ryan to explain to him why they need funding to fix one of the walls. And as a kid, I was just like, oh no, the structural problems happen sooner than anyone thought. I wasn't Aww. like, this, this, is a, <laughs> this is a systemic problem that is a result of capitalists being capitalists. So I appreciated it more and more as I replayed it as I got older. And was able to fully understand what was happening in the game. So my appreciation for it has increased over the years. Okay, that rules. That that uh, that first playthrough though, like that's really <laughs> that's really awesome. Damn, these statues look cool. What, <laughs> what what is that big banner say in the beginning? No gods. No gods or kings, only man. Yeah. And it's this giant, like, gold statue of the guy who founded the place. Yeah. And, and everything bends to his whim. Mm-hmm. You just think, oh, cool statue. Yeah. Was, good, when, must be a when, good guy. Admittedly, when I first saw that, I was just like, that's a cool phrase. No gods or kings, only man. And I was like, that's, that's a cool catchphrase. This guy came up with a cool catchphrase right there. And... The whole thing of when you're going down in the uh, the bathosphere to get to the city, and he says, is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? And he says, no, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. And so me as a kid, I'm just like, I, I no, you're right, Andrew Ryan, I should have my sweat. I hate that because that's what it did to my teenage brain too. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. You know what? You fuck all those guys. I'm whatever. I'm 12. I yeah. understand <laughs> politics and society now. Yeah. Fuck those guys. Uh-huh. I'm going underwater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's so funny looking at that and I'm just like, yeah, you would have to be a fucking child to believe this man. Literally. I've been a child and believed this man. It should be mandatory in our education system for every child at the age of 14 to play through Bioshock, have it recorded, and then you have to play it when you're, I don't know, 25. And then, <laughs> and then, and then review, you know? Yeah. Have your views change. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. It's, 
I, I love that. And to, to go back to that statue, I think that's like a perfect reflection of who Andrew Ryan is. Mm-hmm. He like the it's so he just looks at the slippery slope and he he grabs a fucking sled and he's like yeah um this is a perfectly free society um oop I killed you my bad um and if you don't do exactly what I say I'll make your life hell you're free by the way yeah it's because Andrew Ryan is the character himself is inspired from Ayn Rand who founded i think founded objectivism which is art fascism i guess you could say um which is the ayn rand wrote this book called the fountainhead which is just one of the most miserably fascist things i've ever read and it's a fictional story about this architect who um was too amazing of an architect for people to take him seriously anyways what does that even mean because ayn rand is fucked up but anyways (laughs) um there's a part where uh two of the main characters are looking out across the water at i think it's new york city I, i might be wrong but it's some kind of city american city and they talk to each other saying when you look at that you realize that that is man's triumph over nature and that we are better than the earth and that we are more superior than all the creatures that walk on it because we could create this greatness and that's that's all you need to know about objectivism that is one of the most head up their own ass pieces of dialogue i think i've ever heard i can't wait to read it i'll suggest it to my book club uh, sounds lovely well hey uh i think we indirectly well you know this is kind of up to you yeah, maybe we answered this question maybe we didn't what do you think is the message of this game if you had to pick one central one i know there's a lot going on in this game but um if you had to pick one central message what would it be honestly just pure unfiltered absoluteness of free market capitalism does not work it's bad and i and i think that's the message of the game Mm. Well, I think it's Underwater City cool, so agree <laughs> to disagree in the marketplace of ideas. Fair, fair. Yeah, yeah, but what about that big-ass drill that the big daddies have? Like, come on. I bet they do a lot of drilling. Oh, it's for killing people? Oh. Hmm. Then. Weird. Weird. <laughs> you know, okay, this is like a total dork thing to say. Everyone can put in the nerd emoji, but... You'd think that in Rapture, they would, like, really be anal about pointy objects and drills and guns, considering, like, you know, any given rocket or enough bullets could just flood part of the city. Why are there turrets with rocket launchers in this place? It has something to do with, at some point they mention that crime becomes a very big problem in Rapture. (laughs) And... I don't see it. Right? (laughs) And a big part of that crime is because people realized that biologically, because of Adam and everything, they could basically do whatever the fuck they wanted. So people who weren't necessarily splicing themselves up would have to think creatively. And so capitalism strikes and goes, our fucking 
super mutants who do 17 backflips and can hang from the ceiling by the cups they've developed on their fingertips, breaking into your store and stealing stuff because they've lost their minds, introducing the rocket launcher turret. The invisible hand of the market. It's, yeah. <laughs> it just works. It just works. Anyway, all the oxygen's going away because uh, Andrew Ryan killed all the trees. <laughs> what? I, I love him. He's such, he's such a goofball. He's, uh, oh, uh, you know, fuck you guys. I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. And also all the oxygen's gone. <laughs> I'm going to go play golf in my office. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I like how we've had all these... Um, these these really nice deep conversations about the meanings of things and then at mm-hmm. the end of my list of questions about the game itself i just have if you could have any plasmid in the game in real life which one would you pick uh, i think telekinesis comes in handy pretty well where's the remote under the couch let me just lift the couch with my mind <laughs> God, what are oh? And see now, now I'm fake fan. I don't know all the plasmids, but what about the Big Daddy one? You know, hypnotize Big Daddy. I feel like there's not enough Big Daddies in my life, though. Yeah, thing. same. Uh, I don't know how how useful that one would be. You can find who the psychopaths are who answer insect swarm. Just go, oh, <laughs> what the, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Telekinesis might win. Yeah. The more I think about it, I don't need to electrocute people that much in my daily life. I think if I couldn't choose telekinesis, though, I'd, I'd probably go with Cyclone Trap because, of course, that's just put a little put a little whirlwind under someone, watch them shoot ten feet into the air. Could I could I do that to myself so I could fly? I'm picking that one. I don't even don't even <laughs> give me an answer. I'll I either fly in a controlled fashion or I don't. And then I won't have to worry about it. Well, Enrage is pretty good, though. Just be like, I'm bored, and I'm on the subway. You, you want to fight everyone <laughs> oh, on the God, subway now. No. <laughs> I'll pick that one or the Big Daddy one for comedic effect. <laughs> See who responds to the Big Daddy siren call. Yeah, just start throwing it at people in, like, a Michaels or something. And if one suddenly runs over to you and starts protecting, you're just like, ooh, that's a daddy. <laughs> Check it off on your clipboard. All right, Mm -hmm. this is a big daddy, scientifically Mm -hmm. speaking. Okay, you mentioned System Shock. I sure did. And that's happening this month, March. Yep. Mm -hmm. 2023, Year of Our Lord. Should I get it? You know, I enjoyed Bioshock a fair amount. Do I get System Shock remake? I would say yes. And part of the reason is I think it's like, if you like Bioshock, you'll like System Shock. But I didn't used to be able to say that because system shock uh to put it bluntly has not aged well so it's been due for a remake and i'm really glad that we're getting one also if we get a system shock remake and people buy it we might get a system shock 2 remake and 2 is a perfect game except it's not because it hasn't aged well but a system (laughs) shock 2 remake my god i want that I think I tried to play System Shock 2. Okay, this is a reoccurring theme, but I may have been drinking when I was trying <laughs> to play System Shock 2. Is that the one with the with the monkeys in it? Yes, because I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're little monkey guys, and then they are not happy with the circumstances they find themselves in and lash out irrationally, even though I'm their brother-in-arms. 
and I want to help their uprising. I felt so bad. I did not want to fight the monkeys. I wanted to help them. Uh, but I did not I did not complete System Shock 2. I am an I I get lost easily and I found myself getting looped around a little bit. You mentioned you don't think uh, either one has aged well. Uh, would you Yeah. Are you willing to elaborate on that? I guess the first thing is visually it's uh it hasn't aged super well. That one's just kind of obvious, but yeah. besides that mechanically you think like bioshock has a weapon wheel system shock 2 has a rather convoluted inventory and they also do this thing of in bioshock you can just find oh uh, a machine to upgrade my weapon cool this will help me do the thing or it's like i can't go through this door Oh, but now I have the incinerate plasmid, so I can incinerate the mounds of ice that are stopping the door from opening. Whereas System Shock 2, it was just like, oh, well, you didn't upgrade in the the optimized route of upgrading, so you're going to have to do, now that you know that you didn't upgrade things the way that you should have, just do a little bit of grinding and uh, come back. Oh, so you just have to, that's it, you just have to grind? Pretty much, and it's it's not, to be fair, it's not like a lot of grinding, and it's not like you're closed off because you didn't just, you just didn't upgrade a certain way. I have played games where straight up it's like, oh, you leveled up the wrong thing, buddy. Better restart the whole game. Um, but, no, it's not that severe, <laughs> but it's definitely... A thing that we have, for the most part, aged out of when it comes to game development. I, I will say, when you mentioned the opening up different parts of the game, I really like that Bioshock does not clobber you over the head with it too much. When I see a frozen entrance, my character doesn't go, Huh, I wonder if I could use my incinerate move on that. I'm just left to look and be like, oh, hey, wait, I think I have something that melts that. And doop -a -doop -a -doo, go to the genetic modification store and just get to do it. All right. I can't even do one of my joke questions because we've talked about Andrew Ryan too much. I was going to say, Andrew Ryan, good man or great man? But I think we've, we've already settled that. He's pretty great. He is pretty great, yes. Okay. Fontaine or Ryan, who would win in a head-to-head -head fight? Fontaine has been training with a professional boxing coach for two months Andrew Ryan has a pistol with two shots in it. Do either of them have Adam? No, I was I had to specify. Um, uh, Fontaine is just himself. He's not super jacked, washboard abs. Fontaine. <laughs> and you can pass if this is too political. You know. <laughs> I think it would depend on uh, if Fontaine surprises Andrew Ryan. Andrew Ryan's going down. But if Andrew Ryan surprises Fontaine, Andrew Ryan thought that he had Fontaine killed. Like, he ordered his execution, basically. So, the only thing stopping Andrew Ryan from pulling the trigger of himself was how it would look politically. So, it wouldn't be a hesitation of, would Andrew Ryan be able to do it? He absolutely would, if... Not only if he had to, but he definitely wants to anyways. <laughs> and Fontaine wants to kill him, too. So I, I guess it would just depend on, like, who finds the other person first. Because Andrew Ryan's not going to hesitate pulling that trigger. Fontaine will kick his ass, though, in, like, a fist fight, though. <laughs> I'll put this forward. I think Fontaine can sneak up on Andrew Ryan 
I don't think Andrew Ryan has a stealthy bone in his body. I think he will at the <laughs> last minute be like, ah, the demand for this bullet in your head is meeting the supply of the bullet in my gut. And then at that point, Fontaine has put his fist through his teeth. That is fair. That is fair. Um, <laughs> uh, what is the ethical amount of Little Sisters to harvest? Zero? Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I was really hoping I could get a reaction out of you with that one, but <laughs> damn, you have morals. I, I wanted to switch over to the to the more Astrid-specific questions. You're obviously well-versed in horror and have played a ton of really awesome video games. Have you ever shared, like, what really got you into horror? When I was nine years old i saw the shining oh my god i enjoyed it i liked it and everything but i didn't really understand really what was going on but i wanted to watch a horror movie for halloween because that's what grown-ups did so i watched it and then after that halloween came again i watched the amityville horror and these were classics things that you know people said that needed to be watched and i didn't really care all that much like they were spooky and whatnot, and, but it was fine. When I was 11, my dad said, You're 11 now. You get to watch The Exorcist. <laughs> so I did. And in that instance, The Exorcist scared me more than any of the previous two movies. And I thought about it for days. And I realized that nothing had ever made me feel that way before. And at that point, I got in my head, I want more. And I started looking at every single, what's like, what is the quintessential horror movies that need to be watched? And I watched all of them pretty quickly next to each other. And then I was like, who are horror writers? Who are horror novelists? I need to read those. And yeah, by the time I was like, 16 i was really really into horror and i had already known quite a bit about it damn you have like an actual origin story that's <laughs> badass when i was like 10 uh, i was channel surfing and i saw chucky on screen for about two seconds and then i switched the channel and then i was shaking uncontrollably so uh, <laughs> it took me a little while to warm up to horror but you uh you seem to have the opposite approach to it that's that's really cool i used to avoid horror when i was when i was younger but the reason i wanted to watch the shining was because i wanted to prove that i was tough like i was scared like goosebumps was real like popular when i was a kid and i had friends who were reading them and i thought that was so cool because i was i was too scared to do it but i i wanted to because i wanted to be cool and after watching the shining i was like oh horror is boring i'm gonna watch <laughs> star wars or whatever and then yeah it wasn't until the exorcist fucked me up that i got it i don't know what was the turning point for me where i because I was a I was a little weirdo where unless I thought something was objectively really cool or really funny, whether this was shows or movies or even music, I did not want to be exposed to it. And and especially in music, that was weird. But uh, with horror, I, it took me a really long time to to warm up to it. But it does give you such a unique feeling. I don't know. It's a it's a rush that I don't get out of many games or mm -hmm. uh, shows these days. 
I think John Carpenter's. The, I'm I'm probably going to talk about John Carpenter's the thing on almost every episode of this podcast, but <laughs> I think that really and that's more of like a psychological thriller. But love that movie. And then I think Dead Space really got me into horror gaming in general. Incredible. The but, Dead Space fan is also the Thing fan. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear John Carpenter was like, oh, I wouldn't mind making a... Didn't he say you wouldn't mind making a Dead Space movie? I had not heard that, actually. I think that's a real thing. And if it's not a real thing, don't fact check me. Let me live in my little world. Roger Corman produced a movie in the 90s that was called Dead Space. It didn't do very well. And I wonder if John Carpenter accidentally means that. Oh, no. Please don't tell me <laughs> John Carpenter accidentally means that. That'd break my heart. <laughs> if he made it, the the actual for real, for real Dead Space. <laughs> As I, opposed to the fake one. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> fake one that happened 20 years earlier. Whatever. I think you could probably hear me on all points of the globe scream in happiness. And then my <laughs> head explodes. But I would be over the moon. Oh my god. What were you talking about? Horror or something? I... You asked how I got into horror. Uh, something about Dead Space, I think. Um, now, you're not only a, a lovely horror fan, you are speedrunner extraordinaire. And I wanted to know, what is your favorite game to speedrun? Is it Fear? I'm just going to throw my guess out there first. <laughs> it's, it's actually not Fear. I love the game dearly. I am planning on playing some levels blindfolded at some point, because why not? But as a speedrun, it hurts my soul. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a very rude speedrun, and for the length that it is, it really makes you feel when you miss those uh, time saves. You, you feel it and go, well, that sucks. See, I thought you were going to say the, um, like the stability of it, or is that more with the uh, DLC? Oh, yeah. I can't get Perseus' mandate to work. Otherwise, I would have tried to speedrun that already. I actually like the speedrun of Extraction Point a lot. I currently have the world record in it, but like, I wouldn't have pushed so hard for that world record if I didn't think that run was a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. And, and again, can you just clearly state, uh, what record do you have again? For Extraction Point? Yeah. It's the world record, yeah. Yeah, just casually. She's the world champion. I don't, that was pretty fucking cool when that happened. I was there. I do be having uh, three world records. Do you mind sharing the three? I have uh, Fear Extraction Point. Today I got the world record for Dementium 2. And I have the world record for New Game Plus any percent in Heaven Dust. Damn. Triple world champion. Soon to be quadruple, probably. Who knows? I feel like it's necessary to say that um, because one of my partners insists that I have seven world records. Seven? But I don't count the ones that are uncontested. So to me, that's just like, I set the bar and it will be beaten when somebody looks at that and goes, I can beat that. And if competition is actually present, then I, uh, then I count the, the record as world record. Otherwise, it's just, huh, no one's run this game. I'd like to run this game, though. And as simple as that. If someone wanted to get into speedrunning and they wanted to dip their toes into it, what kind, of, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? Think to yourself, what is a game that you can play from front to back more than a couple dozen times and still 
love playing. That is the game that you should start with. And I would also say when you find the game, find one that actually has a community of runners behind it already. Don't start with a speedrun that doesn't have any runners. Be in the community. Get in there and say, hey, I want to start running this game. Is there anything I should know? Speedrunning communities love other speedrunners who are new, and they're far too eager to help out and give tips and link you to videos that show certain skips happening. And if you have questions, there's going to be people there who will answer them. Start with that first and then work your way into very obscure ones if you want to, because maybe you find out that you don't like running super popular games. I know that I don't particularly like doing that. But start with one with a community and get involved in that community and learn what they know and try to do what they have done. Learn from the best, as it were. And with that, I'll, I'll take over the Dead Space 2 speedrunning record. I, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, I, I looked at it and I was like, I'll do this in the summertime uh, because there, there were like so many cool videos. And you're right. There's a lot of resources out there if there's an active community behind it. But I was like actually overwhelmed. I was like, I have to learn stuff. I can't just play the video game. And I, I love Dead Space 2. Um, that is like probably one of the only games I can play over and over again. Mm-hmm. I'm not big on replaying things. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. I I say, because this is what I did with every game that I speedrun when I'm like, I want to try this out for a speedrun. I play through the game again and try to just do it as fast as I possibly can, not looking up anything, not looking at strategies. I just try to go as fast as I can, see what happens, and then think to myself, with what I know, am I willing to do this a couple dozen more times to push for the fastest possible time that I can get? If the answer is yes, I go, cool. What's the world record? And then I look at that and see how close I am to that. And if I'm not far off, I might go, ooh, Let me just look at what they've done. (laughs) And then it's just a matter of looking at that and going, yeah, I bet I can also do that. I bet I can do it faster too. But if it's like some, someone grabs a pot and puts it in the wall, they shoot into space and then they end up (laughs) landing in a certain spot before they do, they're on three levels ahead. Those ones you go, oh, I need help. The old pot wall space catapult skip. Tale as mm-hmm. old as time itself. Yep. There's a there's a little I I don't know if it's quite that extreme, but there's something in Dead Space 2 called the cup skip, where you attach a bomb to a little plastic cup because there's debris all over the place, and then mm-hmm. you have to kinesis it over a barrier um, that normally you obviously you're not very mobile in Dead Space 2, and then your bomb attached to the cup blows something up way ahead of time and that was kind of my big moment of like i need to actually put in time here (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can't just go fast normally i have to master the cup it also depends on whether the run that you're doing is what category it's in because some people for instance elden ring has been beaten in three and a half minutes that involves going out of bounds because of course it does Some people don't like that. Some runners don't appreciate that. And a lot of people don't particularly uh, like watching runs that are like that either. So you go, no, no, no. I want want to play the game when I (laughs) 
go as fast as possible. Hey, if you if that's you don't want to crouch in a corner, move to the left twice, and clip through mm-hmm. the boss's head and win the game. See, and some people find that really fun to figure out, and some people are like, "No, I want to play the game as close as I can get to playing the game." And then you find yourself either doing a glitchless run or what's called any percent no oob. Any percent is basically the shorthand for beat the game as fast as possible. Doesn't matter what you do. Beat the game as fast as possible. No oob means no out of bounds. And if you're like, look, I'm cool with duplicating swords or doing a little menu thing to give myself 9 million strength or whatever. I'm fine with that. But it's when you start going out of bounds and stuff that I'm, I'm not about. Maybe no oob is something to look into. It depends on what kind of run you want to do. Okay. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we uh, we end this, Astrid? Any Anywhere we can find you online? Anything you want to shout out? Sure. I'm Astrid the Horror Girl. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Astrid the Horror Girl. On YouTube, I am going by the same name. And I basically stream horror games, talk about horror games. For the most part, I speedrun some things. I have a podcast uh, about horror gaming that's on the YouTube along with some of my recorded speedruns. And beyond that, I just love talking about the genre. I love making friends. That's about it. Awesome. I only have one last question for you, and you might know what it is. Can I get you to say NPC you later? You can can say it any way you want to. All right. NPC you later. 